Find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. We were at a special event, which was the Coxie Space Day. There we had the chance to talk to a great variety of different people and talk about their fields of interest. May they be students or professors. We talked about various aspects of cognitive science, such as neuroscience, linguistics, philosophy or artificial intelligence, and many more. All the interviews were kept rather short, and another exception of our bonus episodes will be that not only Zünke and me are hosting, but also our two amazing producers Alina and Sophie, and both will jump into this role of being an interviewer. So stay curious and tune in. So we're sitting here with Piper Powell today, and she is one of our guests of our short interviews. Um, welcome, and we're really happy to have you here right now. Happy to be here. Uh, as always, we start with a short game. Uh, we only take one sentence from, from our normal game, which will be, as a kid, I always wanted to be. As a kid, I always wanted to be a marine biologist or a marine veterinarian at the Georgia Aquarium, which is back in the States, which entirely explains why I'm in Germany. I study in cognitive science. Obviously, life doesn't go in a straight line. <laughs> okay, and how would you explain your research and your main field of interest if I were 10? Well, it's actually nice because uh, we don't have to dumb it down very far. Ten-year-olds are usually quite with it. Um, I actually have two different research areas right now. So one of them is designing a, a bracelet that helps blind people grasp things. And the other one is building, we can just, just describe it as sort of brain-like machine that can uh, calculate on brain data and do other cool things. And specifics of that. Uh, about the bracelet, how can we, or how could we imagine it? Because we have most people who are going to listen to the podcast and you just tinted it at your wrist. Is it like a normal bracelet or how does it look like? Yeah, so it's actually just a very simple felt band that has four just little vibrating motors on it. And then we send signals to it for up, right, left and down. It's really, really simple, but it turns out it works quite well. And for what would people use that when they're blind? Kind of for going shopping and finding stuff in the shelf or... What for is it? Exactly. It's exactly for going shopping. The idea is that uh, we have an entire system, actually. They wear a helmet or another device that has a camera so that we can actually get a view of the scene. And then the bracelet helps them when they're standing in front of a shelf to actually reach out and grab the cereal or the milk or the banana or whatever it is that they're trying to go shopping for. And how do they communicate to the bracelet that they want to grab the banana and not the orange? That's right now we're developing an app that will let them say exactly what their shopping list is, what store they're in. Theoretically, that will be coming later. Um, and then they go in and the, the, net, well, the, the machine figures out or the system figures out where the things are that they want to buy and then uses the bracelet to navigate them to where they need to be. That sounds super handy and really good for people who need this kind of help. Your other project was about brain imaginary, imaginary or what was it again? Could you repeat Yeah, the, the other one is, it is building, well, this was my thesis, so it's taking a, a type of program which is designed to imitate how our brain works and it uses it to look at brain data from somebody who is looking at different pictures and tell me which of those it's looking at. So it's kind of like mind reading is the idea, but it's an interesting idea because you're using, it's a software that's supposed to be like the brain anyway to actually work on brain data from the brain. But that's kind of meta like i mean we are also brains looking at other brain data like 
Um, how, how is that different? Yes, I, uh, and that's funny because it reminds me of a, a meme that we used to have up in a, a lab I worked in years ago, which was, you know, you do realize that all of psychological neuroscience is the brain studying itself. And then you sit there and going, that's true. It feels like we should just understand these things because we're already a brain, but in fact, we know very, very little about how this works or, or not as much as we'd like to. Um, it, is meta, it is a little bit meta in the sense that, you know, we use our brain to create this piece of software, this, this, this batch of programming in ones and zeros that's supposed to be something like the way we think our brains work. So it's, it's kind of the brain imagining what it, it itself does um, and then turning around and using that to do something with what someone else's brain is doing. So I, I could see it being a little bit meta. And where does the brain studying the brain come from? Like, how do you develop it? So the, I mean, this is not, you know, none of this happens inside one project. So when you talk about studying the brain, understanding how that works, that's people from neuroscience who've been doing studies of many different kinds for years. And then we in machine learning or in computational neuroscience, we take that and look at, okay, these are the principles that it's operating with. This is generally the rules of how we think it's working. Again, we always have to say we think because we don't know. Um, and then we build things that are somewhat like that in order to do tasks that, that we want to be able to do or that we think that the brain can already do already hinted that it's neuroscience you're doing right now, computational neuroscience. But did you initially start with neuroscience or where did you start? How did you get where you are right now? Yeah, I did not start with neuroscience. I, I started with psychology in German back in the States. And then the way it happened is I knew that I wanted to work on projects that were in the direction of deciphering imagination. And this was, a, this was a, exactly the kind of question that cognitive science was really good at because it's a very interdisciplinary field. There's bits and pieces from all kinds of different directions and that's exactly what you need to tackle a project like that. And, and then to be honest, I went to uh, my German professor's office at the time and she said, here's the scholarship program in Germany. And then I, I looked at the data bank of programs that were supported by that and found this one and it perfectly tailed with, with what I wanted to go study. And then I ended up here and have definitely not regretted it. And how did you end up in your projects? Is it just by coincidence as well, or did you explicitly want to be part of those projects? Yeah, so the the Grasping Bracelet project, this is completely coincidence. I uh, I came, when I first got here, I immediately, within, like within the first few months, I immediately went to different researchers in the group, uh, well, in Cognitive Science or our institute, and said, I'd like to get involved in doing research. And I got hooked up with uh, Peter Koenig, And at the time, I was working with a grad student who's not even here anymore on a project that is, doesn't exist anymore at all, um, which was on um, how our brains respond to, to watching movies. And when this was abandoned, we had a little team together who had been going on this. And Peter's like, well, we kind of have this armband thing. And you guys seem to be good at cognitive science and neuroscience and all kinds of stuff. So do you want to just move over? And we said yes. And then here we are. And we both, all of us have been working on it for, I think, a year now. Wow, that's some time. Yeah. Okay, then I would continue with the next question. So what do you think are late breaking discoveries in your field of interest within cognitive science? What do you think is like very new and very interesting. So I, I would answer that from the from the perspective of the, the brain-like programming because one of the things that's really exciting now is that it's actually starting to be able to do things. Uh, for a, quite a bit of time, there's been a bit of a plague with, with, these, uh, with these programs in this area that it, they don't seem to do what we think they're going to do. I mean, there, there are even people who would tell you, 
don't work with these because they don't work. And what's happening now is we're starting to have ones that do work. I mean, they're, 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 they're behind what AI, like what you would think of it, like ChatGPT or some of the programs you've seen, DALI online, but they're starting to be able to actually you know, make traction and do things like uh, you know, basic image classification, which is really exciting because that's the first step towards making these into a really usable system. Mm, what was the most surprising part of that for you? Because like when you are in a topic, you I feel, always feel like you get deeper and deeper down into it. And all of a sudden you realize something that appears super striking, which you wouldn't have expected before. I, I would say that that's, um, the, what's super striking for me about this field, because we give it this seemingly complicated name, neuromorphic technology. And it turns out that, you know, you look at me or, or a listener hears that and they go, I have no idea what that means. It turns out I was at a conference uh, only a few weeks ago. We don't know what that means either. Uh, and that, I think, is the most striking thing that I've had in the last while, because it seems simple. You break the word down, it's just like the brain or, or form like the brain. But in reality, I, this, is, this is something that we're working on now, what exactly this is. And it turns out that one of the most exciting or interesting conversations in the field right now is who are we? Which is funny because it's actually also a conversation cognitive science is frequently having to have with itself. And what would you say is one of those um, things the brain-like system really struggled to do where you would think this is easy, humans can do this? Well, I mean, I, I think, first of all, they run into the same things that you would see in just basic AI. I mean, there, we look at a picture and go, I can tell that this is an elephant or this is a banana, but if I give it to a network and all I do is put, you know, the, the, the famous sticker study, I put a sticker next to it, now all of my bananas are toasters. I mean, it, it's, the, our networks have the same, you know, the same kind, of, kind of issues at some point, but um, yeah, for, for those, most of the challenge is just figuring out how to make them do anything at all. And that's, that's actually really where the field is now. I mean, when I was it, was, it was funny to be at the conference that I was at because we're talking about tests and uh, trial runs and applications that AI was using years ago. And we're excited that it works because we're just now starting out. Um, which would, And it, it is, uh, it's challenging for our field because when AI started, AI could take technology we already had from normal computers. I mean, in a sense, you had somebody walk in and go, you know, my son's always playing these video games. And it turns out that, that the technology for him having the screen doing lots of cool things and bad guys and swords and running is actually exactly what you need to train a lot of AIs. But then we come in and go, that technology really isn't ideal for the kind of networks and programming and stuff that we're doing. So we have to start from scratch. So for us, it's, it's a matter of, I mean, we're going to most likely run into the same kinds of apple banana toaster problems that AI did, but it's, uh, it's going to be a from the start journey that's very much in the, in the early stages. Yeah. Mm, and right now, which would be a scientist you would like to chat with about your topic, or maybe also in general, because I feel like especially in interdisciplinary fields, getting new inputs can also be super helpful. Yeah, interdisciplinary fields is, uh, is extremely helpful to have outside input. And I, I'll kind of answer two questions here. One of, the, one of them is, is the usefulness of interdisciplinary or having people come from outside. As you mentioned earlier, we have a tendency to get really, really stuck really deep in a hole. 
And I, I had it, we're working on the, on the bracelet project and we were, we were all very deep in machine learning and cognitive science. Oh, we shall just use some kind of deep neural network, which is just a program that we, a type of program that's uh, quite popular these days. And we'll just, we'll just throw that at it. And then it wasn't until months into the project that somebody who's not even involved at the university, just a random person from, uh, from one of our lives, they said, does that really make sense? Because you said you have to, to the, the retraining these and adding new, new things is, is really hard. Don't you, you know, isn't there an easier way? It's like, oh yes, we had computer vision for years that can actually just add a new template for milk. And this will probably perhaps even work better. But uh, so you really need the outside input. But I, I would say to answer your question about who I'd like to sit down with, what scientists I'd like to sit down with, I know my answer is supposed to be someone famous from, from the past or someone now. But to be honest, the scientist I most want to sit down with is the one I haven't met yet. I The thing that was most exciting about science for me is you go to a conference, you run into someone, you have no idea, you couldn't possibly have, if you, if you had been given a list, as you can sit down with anybody, you know, you wouldn't have known to say, I'd like to sit down with them. And that turns out that two years later, you're collaborating, or they give you an idea that ends up turning into a thesis or to a new idea or to a new project. So for me, the scientist I most want to sit down with is the one I don't even know is coming. That's a really nice answer. I did not expect that answer at all, but I really like it. <laughs> Okay, with that, I think we've had an awesome conversation with you. Thank you very much for taking time to come a bit early, talk to us, and for giving us the opportunity to look into two different but really fascinating projects. So thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much, yourselves. Thank you for the conversation. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Google Podcast, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw, produced by Elina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palmer, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühne, produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan-Luca Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.